Welcome to The Exchange by Evolution, a series of podcasts and insights working with some of the most prominent tech leaders in the industry. Today, I'm really happy to be joined by Christy Dow, who is a friend, um, long-term business contact, and the CEO of Ubites. Um, so, great to be with you. Um, do you want to make a quick introduction, Christy? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Jake. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, so, my name is Christy Dow. I'm the founder and CEO of Ubites. Um, Ubuys is a data-rich uh, data analytics platform, and uh, it's powered by computer vision and uh, AI. Okay, fantastic. Well, today we're discussing a really interesting topic, how the payments ecosystem in Asia will evolve in 2023. Um, so I think now we've introduced Christy, and it'd be great to jump straight into a couple of questions. Um, firstly, um, what... I guess what would make sense is to look at 2022 mm-hmm. um, before seeing um, or you know looking what could happen in 2023. So, from your perspective, what have been the biggest changes within the payments ecosystem in 2022? Yeah. So, um, what we're seeing is uh, you know consumers are able to pay faster, receive the payments uh, faster as well, as well as B two B businesses uh, receiving and paying. Payments. So we're seeing, you know, even you don't need to look far, uh, look at Singapore, right? So um, you see that QR payments is now becoming ubiquitous, right? So you can go food for hawker center and pay via QR payment or a digital wallet, which is unseen or unheard of a few years ago. So that change is increasingly um, really changing the, the way that the whole ecosystem, the payments ecosystem is evolving. Yeah. And from what I understand, that it kind of originated out of China, but mm-hmm. it's never really taken off where I'm from in, in London. Mm-hmm. The QR, QR code payment is still visible in some areas, but it's really taken off in Asia. Can yeah. you, do you know, can you think of any reason why that is? Um, I guess, like, also the government is really pushing the change, which uh, is really helping that, that, you know, the consumer mindset because you, you need infrastructure. Um, and which is being supported by the government, and you also need technology, right? Um, so that basically brings the two parties together to enable people to, you know, pay faster, receive faster, and embrace technology. So I see that's the real, you know, impetus behind the change yeah. and acceptance of your payments. Fantastic. And I guess that's that's very much on a kind of B2C mm-hmm. uh, yep. basis, and obviously consumers drive and the entire ecosystem. Are there any changes in 2022 that you've seen from more of a kind of B2B stuff? Yeah, so with B2B also, you know, there's been a lot of change. You see that businesses are now, you know, can pay pay, uh, payments or receive payments a lot faster. So you look at, you know, historically, um, whereby businesses, uh, it will take them two or three, you know, or even five days or 10 days to pay someone or to receive payments. But now you look at uh, some of the disruptors like uh, that, that basically in, enable a card, a credit card, to pay for expenses. You know, that's never been heard of before, whereby, you know, before if you were wanted to pay using your credit card, the, the beneficiary or the, it has to be a merchant that accepts credit card. But that's no longer the case. You can virtually pay anyone using a credit card. All they need is either a physical banking or a virtual bank account. To, to allow that to happen. So so no longer, you know, it's excuse that, hey, the, the check's in the mail, right? Because now your service providers know 
when to expect a payment, when you make the payment, right? So you can't use the excuse anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, I think uh, we should probably tell some of our clients. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pay me now. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's really interesting. We've been coming to the corporate now for employees in Singapore. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, historically, you know, big organizations like MasterCard and Visa, they wouldn't bother with the you know, corporate card for low value transactions, mm -hmm. like the transactions that we have, for example, like a client meeting or, or a lunch yeah. or a pocket or something like that. But, you know, we've um, rolled out a corporate card that everyone has access to, and it just means people don't have to use their own money for business expenses and don't have to obviously wait four to six weeks to claim that back at the end of the month. And we're hiring a lot of trainees, a lot of um, mm -hmm. people that maybe just fresh out of university. And I think that, that gives a good employee experience. And obviously, it's, it's effectively a wallet, exactly. so it doesn't cost us any more. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned our ability to track the spend. Just means that people aren't printing out receipts and stapling them onto a spreadsheet at the end of the month. Yeah, which I guess is exactly, 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 exactly. Yeah. So looking forward to twenty twenty three, um, you know, what would you foresee the emerging trends to be? And mm. no, no one has a full mm. crystal ball, but sure. I guess based on what you see yep. um, in the market, and you know, Singapore's a melting pot of innovation mm -hmm. when it comes to fintech and particularly payments in the last 18 months but mm -hmm. looking forward to 2023 what would you see the emerging trends to look like um yeah so if you look closer to home meaning singapore and southeast asia you see you know a few of the um, new banks are now emerging so you know recently you heard about trust bank which is jb between standard chartered and ntc right so there will be a few more neobanks coming out um, and, and launching in the next, I'd say, you know, six, 12 months or even 12 to 18 months. Um, and, you know, the, the, the strategy behind the neobanks is that they can go in um, and actually buy customers through deposits, right? And that is an entry, entry point for them to come into the market and then use those funds to lend out to customers, I mean, which is the bread and butter of banking, um, when you think about it. The, the, the value proposition that they bring is that they can offer much aggressive better rates, and that's through you know aggressive customer acquisition through that that ability to do so. So they don't have the legacy systems like traditional banks have with infrastructure and all that. So they're much more agile um, and and to to be able to offer something that is much more unique and versatile versatile for today's consumers. Yeah, um, I will see. You know, there's. Uh, also, the uh, consolidation of a few fintech players out there. You see, you know, one uh, note is uh, Funding Societies, who is on a massive, you know, path to aggressive path to acquire players. They acquired, uh, you know, a card player called Carter as part of the portfolio because I think now, you know, to be able to bring value to the customer, you want to be bring, able to bring an end end solution. So a lot of these guys who are now highly funded, you know, heavily funded, you know, from investors now looking at options to then buy or build or partner with other players to bring that, you know, to bear to, to the customers. Absolutely. And just in terms of the um, kind of aggressive investment that you talked about over the last 18 months, obviously that's seen a huge amount of growth in, in mm -hmm. fintech and particularly payment companies and maybe with, as you suggested, consolidation mm. around, um, you know, certain parts of the market. From... What we're seeing, I guess the sentiment is perhaps not quite as buoyant now mm. as it was six months ago. And perhaps some of the um, messaging from you know, investors, private equity companies, venture capitalists, 
while having been very focused on growth mm. yep. through the mm. first part of the year. Um, the second part of the year, we've seen perhaps the message change to be moving towards profitability um, slightly more quickly than perhaps was initially planned. Mm -hmm. So just in terms of the prevailing market conditions, and this is all you know superseded by macroeconomic factors and um, you know principally you know, supply chain issues, inflation, the war in Ukraine, mm -hmm. etc. You know, and also just coming out of COVID, yeah. just coming out of the global pandemic, which means um, you know there's a lot of debt in you know particularly government debt mm -hmm. globally. So you know prevailing market conditions, yeah. I guess, are perhaps not quite as positive as they have been through the first part of the year. How do you see that impacting mm -hmm. market in 2023? Yeah, so, I mean, there's still money available. There's still investments to be made. Um, but I think the days of crazy valuation, of, you know, crazy spending, um, and the FOMO effect that investors need to jump on the bandwagon just in case they miss out, is kind of like slower, slower like they're slowing down. Um, and what you see is, you know, um, investors are now really looking at robust financial um, uh financial calculations uh, in terms of the business model, does it make sense for them to come in? Um, and for fintechs, it's also around re-looking at the business model. It's no longer, as you say, growth, going to acquire customers at any cost, but it's around profitability, profitability right? So, so that means that they will need to re-look at the business model and the go-to-market strategy. Does it make sense for them? Do they need to expand, learn, expand, or they focus on particular area that they specialize in. So these are some of the, you know, the thinking behind some of the fintechs that are looking to, to you know, look at the business model very closer uh, in terms of what, what's next for them. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And one of the things I've always been interested in, I was living in Singapore for 11 years, and you've been in, in Singapore from, from London and, and you know, growing from Australia and mm -hmm. I think, um, born in Vietnam, you've, you've had a huge, Amount of global experience. I guess one of the things that's really noticeable about Singapore is the the size of the population in Singapore mm. means that any innovative fintech is, mm. yeah, and, and there are many in Singapore. I guess is limited in their B two C business model mm. by the size of the population. One of the things I've seen is when a fintech has a successful or a viable product in Singapore. The limitation of entering into more highly populated markets like Indonesia, mm. for example, mm. is that there's a local player who can emulate that yep. um, and perhaps appeal slightly more um, to the local market in your Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines, the higher populated Vietnam, mm. mm. the higher populated emerging yep. markets, yep. and then potentially supersede the growth of that Singapore incubated company. Yep. Is that something that you see? Singapore fintechs being able to overcome, or do you think that is a, a ongoing trend? I think it's you know uh, it's an ongoing trend that I see, um, and you see that you know a lot of uh, Singapore HQ fintechs are they need to expand and expand right because the market here the population what five and a half million people right so this is a great test bed for fintechs to test and validate the business model. But the way that, you know, for them to grow, it's really expanding out to those emerging markets, taking a product that may not be, you know, sexy in Singapore, but super appealing to the emerging markets, right? I mean, you see, you know, the digital wallet and, and a few other, you know, um, products that's, that's been in, in Singapore for quite a number of years now. But to those emerging markets, it's still quite sexy, you know, 
So it, it's the ability to then either work with a partner over there and look at an entry point to allow them, you know, um, to, to end the market and be able to, to grow and expand. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that brings us on to who buys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess first, do you want to just tell us a little bit more about who buys? Sure. Um, as I mentioned earlier uh, during my introduction, so who buys is a data-rich uh, analytics uh, platform, data analytics platform powered by computer vision and the AI. So, so what does that mean? So it means that we capture customer data at the point of, at the source. So meaning that you know uh, we know who the customer is, uh, we know what they for a, for a business. We we you know we know who they are, gender, ethnicity, age demographic. Uh, what they've been transacting, where they've been transacting, um, and what they've been purchasing. So that's super, you know, um, super interesting and valuable for, uh, you know, for either a retailer or a business. So, you know, in the case of a facilities management company, we can come in and provide a much more integrated, seamless payment experience uh, for those who operate a canteen for the employees, or even a hotel where they're looking at, you know, really disrupting or providing a much better customer experience when someone check in online, you know, pay for a room, and then when they um, arrive at the property and how they move within that property, you know, dine at various outlets, uh, it's all seamless. Or even a retailer wants to know who their customer, who the actual customers who are purchasing or not purchasing and how they can actually, you know, provide a much more personalized customer journey for these uh, for, for their own customers. So we're really trying to bring uh, technology through facial recognition uh, integrated with a payment solution to provide a full end-to-end solution for you know uh, either it's an enterprise uh, you know solution company or you could be looking at you know much more uh, a medium player. Okay fascinating so I guess just a really basic example of what it could provide I uh-huh. guess I'm just trying to understand it. Uh, fully. So, if I, for example, walk into Starbucks mm-hmm. uh, in the US, yeah. and Starbucks were using Hoovise, mm-hmm. regardless which retail outlet I walk into or F and B outlet I walk into, they would have a history of what I historically purchased. Yeah. So, so if we were to look at uh, working with Starbucks, so we would know. So, for example, if we look at Starbucks, like all around uh, Singapore, say they've got five hundred outlets in Singapore, right? And we work with all their outlets. So we would know if Jake turned up to the Orchard Road, what did he buy? When did he turn up? Um, and how much did he spend? And how did he pay for that? Was it cash, credit card, visa, mastercard? Um, and then we can you know, know that on Saturday, uh, Jake visits the Booker Tima outlet and what he buys. Every- so we can build a profile for Starbucks in terms of a customer journey for Jake. So then they know, oh, Jake is a cappuccino drinker. You know, let's try to entice him with a cookie because he never buys a cookie. For 50 cents so we give uh these business the ability to not understand but to market at a much personalized level so in the case of starbucks we can upsell cross-sell different items to jake uh and that data is actually real time online that that you know that uh we give the data or the power back to the business to do that through data analytics okay fantastic so you know, fundamentally it gives the opportunity for businesses to give a much better customer experience yeah and potentially increase loyalty um, of you know football customers. Yes, yes. Okay, fantastic. Um, and with regards to who buys and mm-hmm. you know the pace of change in in 
things happen, you know, particularly payments over the last 18 months. Um, you know, even now we're seeing things like mobile wallets become, mm. you know, a little bit old, mm. old school in terms of the number of organisations mm. offering that. Um, now, how, how would who buys remain relevant? Yeah, so the way we look at our business is that, you know, we're very blessed in the sense that we have a very, um, you know, experienced and innovative, uh, you know, thought leaders uh, on our board, advisory board, as well as our team. But we look at the business from the perspective that which industry is actually going through digital transformation or like transforming the whole industry. So this is where we come in and provide the technology from the point of, uh, you know, facial recognition or technology whereby, for example, like uh, the, you know, um, a cruise line, right? So you would check in uh, to, you're doing a five-day cruise with Hannibal Cruise, for example, right? So you check in online uh, and then you, you purchase your five-day cruise. Um, you pay for it and then when you turn up to the cruise, you still have to basically, you know, register, queue up for an hour, have your ID checked, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you go around the various outlets within the cruise uh, or you go to the casino, you have to bring your credit card or your wallet to pay for services. After you have a good meal, you have to you know pay for that. The way that you buys come in to help these uh, you know these businesses, these cruise lines uh, digitize is that we would be able to offer them the technology to know that hey, Jake can you know register online. So when Jake checks in at the cruise, we already know that it's Jake. So then he doesn't have to queue in in the queue. He can just enter the on the ship. And enjoy himself because we will add a digital wallet or a virtual account to Jake. So with that um, data, he can go anywhere, eat, dine, you know, um, use any facilities and just charge to that account, a virtual account. So at the, you know, the five days, Jake would check out. He doesn't have to queue up. He would just have his card and then leave the, the ship and then go on, on his merry way. So this is some of the things that we're trying to work. We're working with these industry leaders to disrupt and provide a much better user experience or customer experience uh, as we've never seen that before. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And I guess um, moving towards the question of um, talent. So, mm -hmm. you know, as a business, we we connect tech talent mm -hmm. with um, the most kind of innovative companies across across Singapore and, and globally. Payments has been such a point. Mm -hmm. um, hiring ecosystem over the past 18 months and albeit there might be some consolidation based on market mm -hmm. prevailing market conditions and um, you know fintech and payments is still a massive growth space and um, if you were giving advice to anyone looking to build a career within payments or you know, fintech but specifically payments what, what advice would you give that person it's interesting question jake because you know when i started up my career um uh, one of my you know, earlier roles was in transaction banking, uh, whereby I specialized in payments. So back in those days, you know, payments or transaction banking was the very non-sexy era of the bank, right? Nobody wanted to be in that because we set up accounts, we help, you know, businesses move money, pay vendor payments, you know, cross-order, et cetera, et cetera. So nobody wanted to be in that business. Everyone wanted to be in investment banking, you know, the trading, which is super sexy. Um, but how the world's changed, but now payments has become so sexy. You know, everybody wants to do payments. Yeah. Right? Never makes sense. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just, I never imagined this world would come to this point, you know. But, you know, um, so 
where I, for, for me, right, what advice, if I was to give advice to myself, you know, 20 years earlier, I would say always um, question the sales part. Be curious, right? Um, ask a lot of questions, but more importantly, put yourself as the customer, right? If you were the customer, what experience do you want, right? Is what you're having, is what the market offering you the experience that you want? If not, then think of ways to improve because then, you know, the, the best way I look at even now these days, when I talk to a customer and I sit down to, to, to work with them, I always start with what is the customer journey from A to Z, right? And draw that out, right? What is the nirvana? What, where do you want to take the customer? Because that's your outcome, right? And then you come, this is where we are. But we need to be here. So how do we need to build and what do we need to bring in partners or technology to get us to that point? So back to my, you know, uh, my earlier point is uh, be curious, but also always um, challenge the status quo. Can we do things better? How do we do things better? There's always better ways of doing it, right? And this will really set you apart from the competition because as, you know, an employer, I'd say this person has really, you know, wants to make a change, right? Is a catalyst for change. And this is what, you know, is so valuable for, for employees to, to see this candidate. Absolutely. I and mean, I think this is one of the things that we've really seen. I mean, you come up with banking back. Yep. Huge, huge multinational banks. I mean, obviously, more recently, gravitated towards startups and then mm -hmm. your own startup. And I think um, two of your own startups, I think. Mm -hmm. I think what we're seeing is an emergence of interest from people in banks to work for startups certainly over the last 18 months maybe that might change yeah. next year and it might reverse back with the instability in the market yeah. however we've really seen a lot of demand from people within banks to work for startups and perhaps a little bit of um, apprehension on the side of the startups yeah. to hire people from banks because yeah. the perception is that people are quite um i guess one-dimensional in their roles perhaps not willing to do the you know, the less fun mm. stuff that you have yeah. to get involved in in the yeah. startup. Mm. Um, but equally, you know, people in banks have a little bit of suspicion hiring people mm. from startups because mm. they feel like people are perhaps slightly unstructured in their approach and mm. perhaps wouldn't deal well with the slightly more bureaucratic operations of a multinational company. Um, what advice would you give to people, I guess, from the banking background mm. looking to join a startup um, or, mm. or vice versa in a yeah. startup who might mm. want to go to a bank? Mm. So I think from, I mean, I, I've, you know, been banking for, for like for 25 years, you know, from my age. Um, but what banking has really taught me uh, is that, you know, being very structured, right? My thought process, the way I approach a problem, um, how I solve those problems is, is very structured, right? Um, it has its good and its bad, you know, um, things as well. Um, but if you're a banker and you're thinking to move to a fintech, I think you have to be very open-minded um, in a fintech. You have, you know, there's no pigeonhole, pigeonholing yourself, right? I don't do this, I don't do that. You basically have to roll up your sleeves and do everything, everything, and I mean everything, right? Um, and then it's this hunger to learn, right? If you have this hunger to learn, then people will be willing to teach you, right? And this is the way that you need to convince someone in, this, in, in, a, in a fintech to hire you because as, as what you said, Jake, you know, a lot of fintechs are quite adverse to, to looking at banking kind of thinking, oh, you know, they won't do this. They're very rigid in them thought process. You know, they won't try this. So it's, you know, bring forth your ability 
to think because you've been taught to think a certain way, right? Um, you know, your financial acumen, like bring that forward in terms of this is how I can help the company, but always come with the story of value creation. How can you help this company create value for, for them, but also for their customers? So you have to think about what you, what, what some of the, you know, your unique ability to bring that to bear. Uh, and for, you know, a fintech looking to move back into banking, it's again, you know, my ability to think outside the box, my ability to, to, to think, you know, um, to, to be creative with solutions that I can bring many creative solutions to the table, which, you know, from a banking perspective, uh, you know, you, you kind of like, because the nature of the business, you're kind of pigeonholed. So people, banks like to see that people feel creative, uh, you can come with different dimensions in, term, in terms of the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. That makes absolute sense. And um, I think that's really good, good advice um, for, for people looking to switch on either side. Um, so I guess that, that was all my questions. Have you got anything else that you'd want to add? Anything else that you'd want to uh, contribute? Um, maybe ask you a question, Jake. So <laughs> where do you see the whole, I guess, the market from a recruitment? You know, do you see uh, now, you know, recruitment being on the gender of more banks or fintechs, given we discuss about, you know, the cutting back of investment dollars or fintechs. Where, where do you see that moving in the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, great question. Um, really interested to answer that. So we basically sent out a um, request for a contribution to um, a number of our clients um, mm -hmm. for an insights report that we're doing together at the end of the quarter. Um, basically, a number of our clients have approached us and asked us what the hiring sentiment is in 2023. Mm. Um, and we've, we've sent out a kind of survey um, to a number of our clients about the hiring sentiment for next year. Um, and that's number one, you know, what, what is the plan for your business? Mm. Are you hiring? Are you growing? Mm. Are you mm. stay, staying stable with your headcount? Are you cutting headcount? Mm. Or do you not know yet? Um, and secondly, what types of skills um, would you continue to hire for? Mm. And what type of skills would you perhaps downsize? And I think for the first time ever, there's been a really non-linear response. Mm -hmm. So normally when we send out this type of report, it's a very clear message. So for example, 12 months ago, um, it wasn't exactly the same um, insights report that we created, but it was on a similar sentiment. And everyone was talking about growth. Mm -hmm. Everyone was talking about hiring. Mm -hmm across pretty much every skill set you can right. think of. Um, yet we haven't got the, the entirety of the, the data set back yet, but I think the, the really interesting thing was the sentiment was highly polarized between different companies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, well publicized the likes of Shopee and mm -hmm. you know, some of the e-commerce companies yep. might be letting people go, and that's people across the board. We've seen people being let go in data, in mm -hmm. software engineering, in operational roles, in talent acquisition. Um, but that's something which seems to be a, a uniform intention to reduce costs within certain organisations, which is understandable if the message is now no longer growth, but more one of profitability. And um, I think the, the most um, remarkable thing that, that we've seen now is that certain companies are really still driving hiring and identifying the common skills that we mm. saw in such high demand over the last 18 months, software engineers, data engineers, market, digital marketers, salespeople. But certain companies are less optimistic, um, but there doesn't seem to be any sort of uniformity. And I guess the one thing that we're seeing is the most in-demand skills are 
still the data and the software mm. engineers. Mm. Um, and if you look at you know large global companies, yeah. um, even outside of fintech, the likes of, of Google, mm. um, they basically said we're only hiring engineers. Um, the likes of Amazon and AWS, they said you know we're only prioritizing engineers for hiring. And um, Facebook have you know mm. they're, they're not um, letting people go as far as I know, but they're they're on maybe a hiring slowdown. They're still prioritizing engineers. So I think you know even though certain sectors of the market are letting people go and there's still volume hiring in a lot of organizations um, mm-hmm. but for the first time where there's this clear message six mm-hmm. to nine months ago everyone was growing everyone was hiring mm-hmm. across the board now it seems like there's quite a lot of polarity between different companies and it doesn't seem to be that synergy mm-hmm. um, but watch this space we'll be producing a report um, at the end of october um, and you know we'll we'll be making it public so oh, okay and um, it'd be interesting to see what it's yeah about. definitely definitely i mean the market's uh you know changing every day right in terms of what uh, industry is going up absolutely um well it's been fantastic to watch yep. you today been fun. Um, thanks Rick. No, i really appreciate you um you making the effort and, and all the contributions you shared i think it's been really valuable to everyone and um, so you know um thanks again um, great to great to talk. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jake. Thanks.